This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been in a series called Not of This World, a practical guide for uncommon living. We've been doing a deep dive through the book of Hebrews. And I love this book. I hope that you are enjoying this. We are now at Hebrews chapter 10. So go there with me today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 today. Verses 19 through 25. It'll be on the screen for those of you that don't have a Bible. But here's what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the great day approaching. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word today. The title of my message for anybody taking notes in this place or watching this online is, Come, let us worship together. Come, let us worship together. I believe that the Lord has placed before us as a people a great invitation. And that is to come together each and every week for worship. To not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to make a priority our gathering as the saints, the ecclesia, the assembly and government of God on the earth. And I'm fired up this morning, so get ready. We're gonna talk about the power worship, and we're gonna talk about how God invites us to come together when we worship and how we are to do so. On Friday, we came together all across this valley to worship. How many of you were able to, were able to be with us on Friday night at our Worship Together event at the Capitol? It was powerful, wasn't it? Courageous Church and a few other churches and ministries came together to lift up the name of Jesus from the Capitol steps of our government. You know, President Biden was here on Wednesday and Thursday. You guys know that? Kind of snuck in and snuck out. And on Friday, we appealed to the greater authority in the land, our King. We've been singing about him all morning, King Jesus. The name above all names, above thrones, above positions, above powers, right? And I was reminded as I looked out across the lawn, across our city, of just how good our God is, how awesome our God is, and how he really is in control. And we have nothing to fear, amen? Going into this election year, we've got nothing to fear because our God is on the throne. And because he's on the throne, he invites us to come and to approach his throne of grace with confidence. We looked at this just a couple weeks ago, earlier in the book of Hebrews. He says, come, approach me. Come before me with boldness, with confidence to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. We believe there's something powerful when we come together, when we come and worship. 
And today we're going to talk a little bit about this. But over the last few weeks, just to catch some of you up who perhaps haven't been with us, we've looked at all the different covenants of God. We've talked about the tabernacle system of the Old Testament. We've looked at the sacrificial system that Moses set up as kind of a type and a shadow of the true realities that they are trying to point us toward. Right, The things that are both now and not yet, the things that have currently found their fulfillment in Jesus' death and resurrection, and the greater things that are still to come when he returns. We believe this. Last week, we discussed Jesus' one sacrifice to rule them all. And we looked at why the blood of Jesus is the most powerful cleansing agent in the heavens and on the earth, and why it matters for us today. And for the writer of Hebrews, up until this point, he's been, he's been taking us on a journey, and, and we've been building toward a, a climax in the story that he's showcasing. That climax, I believe, begins right here in chapter 10 today, and it takes us all the way to the end of the book, concluding in chapter 13. Today, I'm going to share what I believe are three powerful truths that God invites us to grab a hold of for when we come together to worship him. So let's turn our attention to those now. Are you with me? All right, number one. When we come together for worship, we do so with confidence. We do so with confidence. Hebrews 10, 19, let's read it again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the dictionary defines confidence as this, the feeling or the belief that one can rely on someone or something. It is firm trust. Say it with me today, firm trust. So let me ask you today, would you consider yourself to be a reliable person? <laughs> a confident person? Have you ever been around people that have a whole lot of confidence, right? There's something about people that are confident in their, their abilities. As a young person, be honest, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And like most kids, you don't really know who you are yet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I had this friend growing up when I was in sixth and seventh grade named Danny who just exuded confidence. He was just like the cool and confident kid on the block. And Danny wasn't afraid of anything. We would go skateboarding together because I lived in Southern California, so that's what you do. And he would get on half pipes and ramps. We'd go seek out empty pools to carve. And he didn't care how big the ramp was, how dangerous the pool was. He'd skateboard off of house roofs and, and just, he was just cr kind of crazy, but he was confident. And around adults, he'd look them in the eye and he'd shake their hand and he'd have conversations with strangers. I was like, who is this kid? He's just a, just a confident looking kid. But can I tell you something? As confident as I thought Danny was, he actually had a lot of trust issues. <laughs> in fact, he was not mo the most reliable of friends. What I thought was confidence was actually a mask for a lot of the pain all of the stuff that he was dealing with at home. It wasn't actually a, a true confidence, but rather a false confidence. Today I want to talk to you about true confidence. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is pointing us not to be a people that are falsely confident, but to have a true and real confidence. And where does this true and real confidence come from? It comes from the blood of the Lamb. It comes from Jesus. He says it right here, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Friends, Jesus' blood gives us confidence to come before God, warts and all, to open up our hearts, to not hide, camouflage, try to pretend, but to be real. Am I talking to anybody real today? To get real with your problems, 
to get real with your struggles, to be honest about your sufferings, to be real about your difficulties and the things that you're going through, and to say, God, this is me. Here I am in all of my weirdness. But the blood of Jesus gives us confidence to enter what here he calls the most holy place. This, as I've taught in the last few weeks, was the holy of holies. It was the place where the manifest presence of God resided in the cloud above the mercy seat, shrouded by the cherubim. It's a beautiful picture of God's throne. Sometimes we hear the word seat or cover and it doesn't do it justice, but actually the biblical picture of this is a throne. God is enthroned above the cherubim, it says, above the angels, enthroned above all powers, all dominions, all governments, all leaders, all authorities. Paul uses the word archons, rulers, those that possess both heavenly and earthly authority. He's enthroned above it all. We sang about it today. I love that song. And he's inviting us to come in. And in the Old Testament system, like I, like I talked about last week and the week before, the high priest could only do this once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now you and I, as believers, as the people of God, are invited to enter in to the most holy place each and every time we come together for worship. That's what we're doing today. We're entering into the presence of God together because of the confidence we have in the blood of the Son. And that's what he wants us to grab a hold of today, to have this confidence so that when we come together, we do so confidently. We don't come into this place with insecurity. We're not sure you know, where we stand with God. No, we know because of Jesus' one sacrifice to rule them all that we stand cleansed, forgiven, righteous, redeemed, justified, acquitted, forgiven, free, adopted. We are royal priests. Now the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, and this should encourage us because whether you consider yourself a confident person or not, like my friend Danny, it doesn't really matter because your confidence is not in yourself. Your confidence is in your high priest named Jesus. And he's already gone before you. The Bible tells us he's a forerunner. He's entered into the holy of holies before us to make a new and living way for us to follow. At Creative Church, we say that we are learning how to courageously follow Jesus. Where are we following him? We're following him into the throne room. We're following where he is already, seated on high seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding and pleading on your behalf and mine. And he invites us to join him there. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing opportunity for us when we come together in worship to go there together. That's what I love about corporate worship. Because it's not about just you, your heart, and God. It's about all of us as the people of God gathering around his throne together singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's the invitation every time we come into this place. So number one, when we come together for worship, we do so with confidence. Number two, when we come together for worship, we do so with sincerity and faith. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Some translations say a true heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. How many are thankful that God has cleansed you from a guilty conscience today? If you're still wrestling with guilt, we want to pray for you. 
Because this is not the reality that God has for you as a Christian to continue walking in guilt and shame. That's, that's not what he wants for you. That's not what he designed you for. That's not what he poured out his blood for. He poured out his blood so that you could be cleansed of a guilty conscience and having your body washed with pure water. Many believe that's a reference to baptism. But let's talk about what it means to have a sincere heart for a moment. A sincere heart means that you're not pretentious. You're not prideful. You're not stuck in your old ways. And you're not trying to put on a show or a performance. You see, I think the temptation for some of us is when we come together, we come together to perform instead of to worship. Some of you might go, well, yeah, but Pastor Jason, I don't play guitar. and I don't, I don't sing. Or I don't play keyboard. But yeah, but sometimes, you know, when we're in the pews and we're singing, we're performing. We're going through the motions. We're saying all the right things. But I want to ask you today, where's your heart? Do you have a sincere heart? Are you caught up in pretension, trying to pretend like everything's okay? Your name is the highest. Your name. I hope nobody notices that my life is a mess. Above it all. <laughs> Performing? That's not what Jesus wants. This is one of performance. He wants our worship. He wants our heart. As a traveling musician and young person, uh, fresh out of high school, I joined a Christian rock band in the year 2000. Seems so long ago. And uh, traveled all over the world, and it was a blast. I mean, it was a lot of fun. But can I tell you something? The enemy was always trying to catch me off guard. <laughs> the temptation that was always awaiting to use my gifts and talents to bring attention to me rather than to God was always knocking at the door. I moved down to New Zealand for a short time and originally growing up in California, I had an accent that I didn't realize I had. They called me the California kid because everybody loved my accent because I didn't sound like a, a Kiwi. That's what they call New Zealanders. And I said, man, mate, your accent is so, so amazing, mate, so beautiful. And all the girls would be like, oh, I just love the California kid. He's got this nice accent. He's so cool. How do you know when you're 18 and people start paying attention to you, you're like, yeah, I am the California kid. All right. I'm going to own this. Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above. Right? You start believing your own hype. You start getting caught off guard. You start bring, believing your own press. It's dangerous. <laughs> Thankfully for us, we had a very rigorous touring schedule. We used to have people come up to us after shows and then try to get us into, get us into trouble. So it was, uh, it was interesting. Didn't have a lot of time to fraternize with the groupies. But uh, how many know that our enemy, the devil, Satan as he's known, is crafty? And if he can't get you with girls, he's going to come after you with glory. Billy Graham says the three G's are girls, glory, and gold. Girls, glory, and gold for most men. I guess for, for women today too, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> girls, glory, and gold. He can't come after you with girls. He'll try glory. After shows, people come up and they be oh, can we get your autograph? Sure. I'll put my autograph on there. Oh, my God. And it's so funny to me because, you know, Paul says, don't think so highly of yourself lest you fall. The enemy's subtle. He tries real 
carefully to find an open door. And if, and if glory and, and girls won't work, he'll, he'll try to throw money at you. You know, gold, fame, riches, all that. Well, right, those are, and there are many more that we could add to that list. Many people consider Lucifer to be the first worship leader. And he fell because he started to become too aware of the glory that was on his life, that was reflecting off of our God and onto him. And he started looking at himself and he started to believe his own press and believe his own hype. And then he started signing autographs on the side. And then he started trying to court attention and glory and fame from the other angels. I imagine we know how that story ends, which is why when we come together, we do so with what the writer Hebrews here calls sincere hearts, not prideful hearts, but sincere hearts, hearts that know that worship is not about us. Worship is all about him. Can I say it again for those of you in the back? Worship is not about us. It's all about him. So it doesn't matter if you like the songs we sing or not. It's not for you. Sorry, it's not. It's for him. When I was a young worship leader, I used to do songs that I liked. I was like, I like this song. I'm going to do this one. And then I went on staff at a church, and then I started trying to do songs that I thought everybody else would like. Running around trying to please people. Yeah. People would come up to me, oh, you should do this song. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Whatever makes you happy. Give the people what they want. And now I try to do songs that God likes, that minister to his heart, because it's not about us. It's not about us, it's about him. And my fear is that we've made worship into an industry and a genre and we've made it about us and our preferences and whether we like the fast songs or the slow songs or the lights or the hazers or the chapels and the stained glass or whatever your preference in liturgy is. And it's not about us. We're missing the point. It's about him, the Holy One. And that temptation is always to make it about us. The writer of Hebrews also says that when we come together for worship, we do so with the full assurance that faith brings. We're actually going to talk a lot about faith in the next chapter. But for now, I want to say this. Your faith in Jesus is meant to bring you your full assurance of not just your salvation, but of your ongoing access to the holy of holies, the presence of God. My other concern for us is that when we worship, we're, we're not starting with that in mind. You know, some of us, we've been, we've been programmed to just kind of enter in casually, show up after the second or third song, give some high fives, chug our Starbucks, and then clap our hands and then sing a few songs. When what, what we're actually being invited to is to step into a reality where God's holiness, his power, his wonder, his awe is put on display, can be felt tangibly among us and within us. Because of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in you and me, you are the temple. And yet, at the same time, he's inviting us to come together and to enter into the heavenlies. It's a beautiful paradox that our feet are here on earth and our hands are somehow up in heaven. That our voices are here on earth, but yet are resonating amongst the chamber of his presence with all of the angels and all the saints and all of those that have gone before us together. I told you last week that we live in this tension. 
being here on earth, but inviting and asking and praying for the kingdom to come, for the heavens to be poured out. And God's doing that right now, and he's doing it all across the earth, and it's going to come in fullness and greater power at the end of the age. But we get to, to live in both realities. It's beautiful, but it should be holy. It doesn't mean you have to crawl on your knees, but it should mean that you have some awe and reverence for what it is that we do here. Because he's holy, not because Pastor Jason's holy, Candace is holy, or Tim's holy. Although it's true, worship is not about us, it's about him. So once again, your faith is meant to bring you your full assurance of not just your salvation, but of the fact that you can enter into the presence of God. Once again, your faith is not about your ability to conjure belief in your own right. It's about your willingness to trust God. Can I say it again? Faith is not about your ability to conjure or produce or manufacture belief. It's about your willingness to surrender and trust. That's what faith is. In this way, the strength, or we might even say the fortitude of our faith is more about the reliability of its subject rather than the amount that you specifically possess. As believers, we know that our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in Jesus. Just like with confidence, our confidence comes, our faith comes as a result of our willingness to trust Jesus. He is the reliable subject of our faith. And he is also the author of it. Faith is often spoken of as a gift that he gives. Amen? Jesus would make this point in the parable, of the mustard seed. He, he makes the point that with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So let me ask you today, is it the size of your faith that moves mountains? Or is it the subject of your faith, Jesus himself, that moves mountains? I will say it again, thank you. Is it the size of your faith that can move the mountains or is it the subject, the author, the focus of your faith that has the power to move the mountains? I believe it turns out that the old Sunday school answer, Jesus, is true. <laughs> Amen. So in our invitation to draw near to God and worship, to experience his life-giving presence together, we do so as those with sincere hearts, and we do so as those who have faith. See, God doesn't really care if your voice is off. He doesn't care if you can sing or not. Some of you only have voices that only Jesus loves. Some of you love to get in that shower because the reverb just makes you sound even better. Isn't that true? But it doesn't matter if you can sing or not. It matters if you come with a heart full of faith. One pastor says, faith is the ingredient in the soup that God is looking for. Is there faith in that song today? Is there faith in that worship today? Or did they begrudgingly give me another song? Did they just sing more words? See, this was... The prophetic judgment on Israel was that their assemblies and their festivals and their performances were elaborate, but they had lost sight of the Holy One, of who it was all supposed to be for. And rather than coming to God with hearts full of faith, 
They were going through the motions. That's why when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, you know, you, you pay me lots of lip service, but your hearts, they're far from me. God wants our hearts, church, but he wants our hearts full of faith. A heart that says, I'm willing to trust you, God. Though my problems may be great, though my bills may be many, I am going to trust you as my provider and source for all things. That's faith. And then when you sing that song, you offer that faith. You're not just offering the song. You're offering the heart behind it. So I love that song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's about the heart. It's not about the song. It's not about the performance. Amen? So we do so as those with sincere hearts, with faith in Christ, so that, in number three today, we can come together for worship. When we come together for worship, we do so with real hope with real hope. Hebrews 10, 23 says it this way. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. How many of you guys would agree that in our world right now, we could use some hope? Mm. Looking out across our city this week, you know, I saw people looking for hope and you have friends in your life and neighbors and family and coworkers that need hope. We need hope, church. See what's going on in Maui? How many know those people need some hope right now? How about in other parts of the world? Ukraine. What's going on there? Northern Africa with the coup. What's going on there? Migrants crossing waters and sinking in boats and just, we could just go on and on, right? People looking for hope, searching for hope. How many would say today, Pastor Jason, Actually, I could use some hope right now. You don't have to raise your hand, but. Desmond Tutu once said that hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. I like that. Billy Graham once said, God's mercy and grace give me hope for myself and for our world. The truth is we all need hope. Hope is crucial to our faith and hope is crucial to our worship when we come together, which is why we are called and commanded to hold unswervingly to it. You ever been in a car with someone that's driving and they start texting? And what happens? Start swerving. Some of you, I just described your way to church today. <laughs> you start swerving. I had a friend was doing this, started texting, he's driving, swerved right into someone's lane, crashed the car, bam, it's awful. Luckily, he's okay, thankfully. But as the people of God, we are called to hold unswervingly. That means we're focused, we're fixated on it. We're not distracted looking this way and that way, but we're looking at what God has for us. We're looking at Jesus the anchor of our souls, hope incarnate. I believe that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. This is actually the very first sermon I ever preached at Courageous Church. And I believe it's still true for us today. Jesus is not only our living hope, as the scriptures refer to him, but he's the only hope for the world. At Courageous Church, we like to say it this way. Jesus is the only hope for your humanity. Regardless of whether you're single, married, ex-convict, ex-drug addict, 
still wrestling, still struggling, wherever you find yourself, Jesus is the only hope for you. We believe this. One of the beautiful things that I believe happens when we come together for worship as the people of God is that our lives become filled with lasting hope, not temporary hype. And how many of you guys know there's a difference between hype and hope, although they're almost spelled the same? There's a lot of preachers that can give you hype this morning, but I'm standing faithfully behind God's word to give you hope, to give you real hope, lasting hope, hope that only comes from knowing Jesus, from surrendering your life to him, to trusting in him. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what problems you're facing today, no matter what's going on in your world, Jesus is the only hope that you need. He's the only hope. He's the only one that can give you what it is that you're searching for if you put your faith in him today. Can I encourage you? Look to Jesus. For those of you that are watching this or listening to this online, look to Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Draw near to Jesus because he's inviting you and he's inviting us, church, to come and worship together. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.